Um, and so this morning we're going to be looking at the first of the seven uh, words or phrases that Jesus spoke uh, from the cross. And uh, the premise of this message is uh, really the importance of last words, uh, the last words of a person, especially the, the last words of our Savior. And I feel like what gives them even more weight, if you need any more, coming from our Savior, uh, was where he spoke them from. Uh, when Jesus was hanging from a cross, he hung from this cross for uh, a little over six hours. And uh, I know that we have cross images everywhere. We wear them around our necks. We see them in stained glass windows. Uh, but the, the cross is a brutal place. Uh, it was a pain, probably, uh, arguably the most painful way for anybody to be put to death. It was not meant to uh, be a quick death. It was meant to be a horribly painful way to execute people that the Romans felt uh, deserved it. And it was uh, execution that would take hours, and uh, it would dislocate your, your, your wrists, your shoulders, your elbows. And uh, in order for somebody to say a word, uh, I was researching it this week, uh, the person would have to uh, raise up on the nail that was uh, piercing their feet and the, the nails that were piercing their hands to be able to, to breathe and exhale was horribly painful. And for Jesus to even say one word, uh, he had to go through excruciating pain to, to get those words out. And I, I believe that there was a reason why he wanted us to know these seven things, that it wasn't just enough for him to die for our sins, but he wanted to know how we could live a victory life, a, a, a life of freedom uh, here on earth. And uh, there were seven phrases, and really what it was is seven words that we're going to talk about the next seven weeks. Uh, the first is a word of forgiveness. The second is a word of salvation. The third is a word of relationship. Uh, fourth is a word of abandonment. The fifth is a word of distress. Uh, the sixth is a word of triumph. And then finally, his seventh word, uh, when he said, Until, unto my uh, father I commit my spirit, a word of reunion. And the last words are, are so powerful that a person says. If you had to think of what would your last words be to the people you love the most, to this world, uh, what would they be? What would you share? Uh, I believe that it's important for people to not just wait until their last moments to share them, but share them today. Uh, don't hold back what you really feel, the love that you really have in your heart. Uh, and we remember last words. I'll, I'll never forget uh, the, uh, the three phrases that I remember the most from my father. Um, two of them came from the last night that I was with him. We, we went out to dinner. We saw a movie. And there was uh, two things I remember from that night. I know he said more, but there were two that, that stuck in my mind the most. Uh, the first one I, I remember my dad said, uh, I'm glad you're back in the gym, son. Because if you let that go too long, you may never get it back. He said that. And so ever since then, I've been back in the gym because there may come a day where you might not ever be able to get that back, Joe. Just remember that. It's never too late. And, and then uh, my, my dad said, uh, you need to spend more time alone with Diamond. If you need mom and I to take the kids, we will. And then I keep this, this birthday card my father wrote me. Uh, on uh, my, my 32nd birthday, right before he went to heaven. And uh, this was the, the words that he, that he wrote. And every time I'm struggling or I'm feeling down, I'll, I'll always go to this card. Uh, if I'm feeling nervous about something, I'll, I'll read his words. And, and he wrote, well, well, you inherited my 
love for Jesus in baseball. I can never put into words my love for you. Remember when I used to spread my arms and say, I love you this much, and he would open his arms. Uh, You have become an outstanding man, husband, and father, and son. You are always special. May your days of sunshine always bring you joy, and may your storms be short and few. And I I hold that near and dear uh, to me. And uh, I believe even more so, uh, we need to hold the words that our Heavenly Father spoke over us and to us uh, even more near and dear than any earthly father. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, And I'm going to read starting in Luke chapter 23, uh, the first of the seven-part series. I'm going to start in verse 32, uh, and it says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out to be executed along with Jesus. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and then one on his left. And as Jesus was hanging up on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God, the Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar, and, he, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And that's what was written up above on his cross. Verse 39, uh, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for what we are getting for our deeds, and deservingly so. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, Let's pray together. Uh, Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning, Lord. And uh, I just pray, Father, you help me articulate this powerful uh, word that you have for us this morning, that you felt it was so important for you to say, the pain that you were going through when you said it, so it could mean something to us today in 2020. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Anybody um, ever find themselves doing the same stupid things over and over and over and over again? And any wives ever find your husbands doing the same stupid things over and over and over again? Diamond reminded me this, this morning of all the dumb things that I've done over <laughs> And over, leaving the towel out on the, on the bathroom floor. And I left the back door open last night before I went to bed, which is, is, is an impartable sin in the Friedel household. Don't you love our children? Uh, yes, I do, but I forgot. I'm so sorry. I'll remember next time. But uh, so often we, we do these, these dumb things over and over and over again. And, and it, sometimes it feels like as much as we try, we, we just can't. Uh, break these, these habits. And I, I feel like even at a, a young age, we start doing these things over and over again, even when we're told not to do them. It's like in our nature, when we hear no, we hear yes. And uh, our, our son, uh, Dewey, he is, uh, how old is he now? 10 months old. And a great eater, eats phenomenally well, uh, until recently. When uh, Dewey started doing this uh, uh, thing, every single time Diamond would feed him the, the food, he would, he would take the food and go, and it was cute. 
It was cute the first time. And even the second and third time. But Joe, the fourth time is getting a little old, do we? Just eat your food. And we can't get him to stop doing this over and over and over again. And, and as much as we say no, and, and we find this with, with, with our kids as many times as we tell Judah to shut the front door when he leaves, he just leaves it open over. And I wonder where he gets that from, honey, you know. Uh, and, 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 you know, we, we all have these, these things in our life. We wish we could change, I, I think, for the most part. Um, and then a, a lot of them, these are, are, are frivolous, silly things that I'm talking about. But uh, I, I'm sure I have mine that I don't feel comfortable sharing, and you probably have your uh, things in your life that, that you wish you could change. Maybe it's a, a way you handle conflict. Maybe it's, it's the way you, you, you handle your anger issues. I, I know that that's something that, that I battle with, and, and, and over and over again, you, you've been praying about it, and you've been asking God about it, but, but it seems like you just can't shake this struggle that you've been dealing with, and, and it's just part of your DNA. Maybe it's your, something your parents did, and maybe it's something that you've been doing for so long, and, and I feel like this story uh, has great insight on how Jesus is able to help people who have the same problem for years and years and years, because Jesus is hanging on this cross, and he's hanging next to two thieves, uh, two thieves that uh, I'm sure didn't start stealing for the first time when they got caught and were sentenced to death. Uh, I'm, I am sure uh, that these men at a young age, probably, you know, I, I, I see in my mind maybe, you know, started in school, uh, taking something from a, a, a fellow classmate that wasn't theirs, a selfishness or act of desperation, and they got in trouble, they got detention, it, it didn't stop there. Maybe they learned it from their parents, who knows, uh, but it got to a point, I'm sure, where they uh, did it so many times when they got older that they got sentenced to, to jail. They, they, they had to pay a price, and then they got out of jail, but they still couldn't stop stealing. They couldn't stop coveting what wasn't theirs until finally uh, the Roman government said that you don't even deserve to live anymore because you got this same problem that you've been doing for years now and, and now you have these these two thieves that have this 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 selfish issue that they're dealing with hanging next to Jesus to be executed and part of our mechanism I believe we don't say it out loud but I think it's just something that we do naturally whenever we have a struggle with something we do over and over again our coping device is to find somebody else that does something worse than us. And somehow that brings us some sort of peace, some sort of relief that I, I know I'm bad. I know I got issues, but look at Joe Responti and his issues. He's got way more issues than I could ever dream of. And so we look at somebody like Joe. <laughs> we look at somebody, you fill in the blank. And all of a sudden, oh, I feel better. At least I'm not like so-and-so. I, I know I got an anger problem, but at least I, I haven't taken it to that level yet. I know I have my small little addictions, but at least I, I'm not in a place where I got to go to a rehab like so-and-so. Or, 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 or I have my sin, but uh, I, that person's sin is so much greater than mine. And somehow we find that momentary place of relief because I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And in this story, we see these, these two thieves doing the same thing. They're sentenced to death. They're about to be executed. And still in that moment, 
where they're about to be taken from this world, they're still looking for somebody who's done something worse than them in their minds to be able to mock and, and, and ridicule and be able to uh, slur things at. And in that moment, it was Jesus. I find it interesting. I never saw this until this week. In Matthew chapter 27, uh, we have the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are three different eyewitness accounts of what took place on the cross. And Matthew shared something interesting that Luke did not put in his gospel. And it, it says this in Matthew chapter 27, verse 42. It says, uh, as the people are seeing Jesus on the cross, uh, that they were insulting him, saying, he saved others, why can't he save himself? He's the king of the Jews. Let him come down from that cross and we will believe in him. He see, Jesus could have convinced them who he was by performing this great miracle on the cross and coming down, but he didn't want to do it that way. It says, verse 43, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And then catch this, verse 44. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. They were, both of them, insulting Jesus because they perceived him as being worse than them. Uh, in the movie I saw a long time ago called Annapolis, it's about a, a young man who's in the Naval Academy, and uh, he came from a rough background. Uh, he was played by, um, I believe it was uh, Franco, James Franco. And he's doing horribly in the Naval Academy, and he has this one friend who's always hanging out with him. And uh, he, he says to him, why are you always hanging out with me? Uh, I, don't you know I'm, I'm the worst of the worst here in, in Annapolis? Go find some other friends. And uh, the, the man said to him, I thought it was uh, very telling. He said, because you're my Mississippi. People who live in Arkansas, do you know what their favorite state is? Mississippi. Because Mississippi is the only state that keeps Arkansas from being the worst state in the whole country. <laughs> And isn't that what we do? We, we try and find our Mississippi to make us feel better about ourselves. And that's what those thieves are doing. Both of them hurling insults at Jesus. But then something crazy happens. One of the thieves all of a sudden has a change of heart when he's on the cross. His whole life He's been a thief. His whole life, he's been selfish. His whole life, or probably for the last three years, he's heard about Jesus. He's heard about the miracles of Jesus. He's probably even heard some of the sermons of Jesus. You had to have if you lived in this area during this time. And still, nothing got through to him. And still, on the cross, he's hurling insults at him. But something happened in those moments when he saw Jesus hanging on the cross. What was it? Was it Jesus uh, preaching a good sermon? Was it Jesus winning a theological debate? No, it was none of those things. It was Jesus saying to those that are nailing him to the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And this moment of love where this hardened criminal, this selfish man, his entire life, all of a sudden saw this love in this Savior who was able to forgive those who were hurting him, who were persecuting him. And all of a sudden, when he saw that forgiveness, it changed his heart. It, he saw something authentic about what Jesus was doing because Jesus preached the sermons. Man, he preached a great sermon on the mount where he said, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. But it is one thing to preach a sermon. It's another thing to live out the sermon that you preached. And this man, I'm sure, heard the sermon 
on the mount or heard of it, but when he actually saw Jesus living it, that's the moment where the gospel got preached in a powerful way, and that man saw for the first time the true grace and love of Jesus. Jesus came and transformed an entire culture, but he didn't come the way people expected. See, in, in this time, the, 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 the Jewish believers, the, 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 the Jewish people had been under oppression for centuries. You read the history books from the, the Babylonians they were oppressed under, they were captive under, the Persians, the, the, the Roman uh, Empire now is, is uh, uh, controlling Israel at this time. They had been marginalized, they had been persecuted, and they were waiting for this Messiah to come to wipe out all their enemies, their Messiah to come with a sword to bring justice to everybody who had persecuted them, to everybody who had spoken down on them, and they knew that when their Messiah came, that that was gonna be the moment when they were gonna be vindicated and free, and they expected that Messiah to come with a sword, with vengeance, with payback, and then Jesus came with the opposite. Jesus came not as the Lion of Judah, but as the Lamb of God. And when he came, not with a sword in his hand, but with forgiveness in his mouth. And when Jesus came, he didn't come the way that people expected because what we want is we want, we think that payback is what is gonna bring justice and be able to change a community, change a culture. Is maybe if a, if a new law gets passed, then people will have to listen. That, that somehow if we, if we change uh, uh, the, the whole government, that then somehow we'll be able to see Jesus reign here in the United States and in the entire world. That's what the, the, the Israelites thought that Jesus was gonna do. Come and set everything straight. But Jesus didn't come with a law. Jesus came with love. Because love is what changes hearts, not laws. Love is what Jesus came as his weapon of mass destruction. And it ended up changing an entire empire and changing an entire world. See, a lot of times we think that justice is what we need to heal our brokenness. Because we've been wrong, we've been hurt. And the only thing that's going to help my hurting, broken heart is for justice to come in my life. Justice is not a bad thing. Justice is a good thing. God is a just God. But God does not heal hearts through justice. I'll never forget, it was two years ago, I preached a sermon. It was Broadway at the Shore, and we were doing the Broadway play Les Miserables. And we talked about how the mercy that, um, whatever the lead character in Les Miserables was, I forget. That was two years ago. Valjean, something like that. <laughs> Some French name. And, and what, was gonna, what changed him was mercy. And when a priest showed him mercy, all of a sudden it transformed his heart. And we talked about how it's mercy that transforms hearts, not justice. There was somebody sitting in that service, first time ever in our church. And at the end of the service, he's there, he's bawling his eyes out, and, and I was introduced to him. And uh, he was from uh, upstate New York. And he began telling me the story of how three years ago his brother uh, was murdered horribly. And for three years, 
They've been in court. They've been looking for uh, the person, the perpetrator, the person who did this horrible, horrible act that devastated him, his family, everyone. And, and he said all year he just was believing that, that once that, that, that this guy had to pay for what he did and, and he got justice, that somehow that was going to bring peace to his heart. And he told me there with tears in his eyes, he said last week they, they had the court case and, and they sentenced him to life in prison. And it didn't change anything in my heart. He needs more. He needs, he, he needs to get what my brother got is, is what he was thinking in his heart. And then he said during this, this sermon, I finally for the first time felt the beginning of healing that my heart is not going to be healed because of justice, but because of mercy. And that is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to bring mercy for those who, who needed it the most. Mercy for those who, who ridiculed him and ridiculed others. I love how Martin Luther King put it. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Because our symbol of Christianity is a cross. And our motto is, forgiveness is what we are and forgiveness is what we do. If you're a Christian part of who you are is you have to forgive. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, I'm sorry. Some days I wish it didn't have to be like that, but it is part of who we are as believers is we have to forgive. Did you know that? You have to, but where does it say that in the Bible? There's got to be a loophole somewhere in there, right? I mean, there has to be some things that I don't have to forgive. I mean, they have bad things. I'm not talking about frivolous things. Someone cut me off. Someone said something about uh, my makeup the other day, and I got angry. I know I got to forgive that person, but what about real issues? What about real hurts? I mean, those have to, you know, be able to, uh, you know, get, get through not forgiving that person. Well, this is what Matthew chapter 6 says. This is, this is what it says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 14. Uh, It says, uh, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, mm, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Can I get an amen for that? Can I get a whoop whoop? I mean, yeah, my heavenly Father will forgive me. Say, I am forgiven for everything. Oh, you didn't have to say that, but I love your enthusiasm. I love this 10 a.m. service. That's all. I, I mean, everything, you are forgiven, past, present, and future. That's amazing. That's amazing grace. I mean, even the things that you're going to do this week, Jesus already paid for. You're already forgiven for them. He loves you the same today as he does tomorrow, even though he knows what you're going to do tomorrow, and he knows what you did last summer, and he loves you today. That's awesome. But, oh no, not the but. <laughs> I always tell people, beware of the but. Because what happens with the but is like if I go up to uh, uh, um, Sandy, Sandy, you are so amazing. You're so, so beautiful. You're so anointed. Uh, but you just forgot everything I said before the but. You don't care what I said because there's something coming after the but that is gonna grab your attention. There's a big but here. This is what it says, verse, verse 15. Uh, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not 
forgive your sins. Do you, do you, maybe you have a different translation than me. Um, but that looks like, I'll, I'll, I'll do like a buzzword, a quid pro, what's the other one? Quo, right? That you do this and God will do that, that you have to forgive. It's who you are. Jesus spoke, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I I always thought to myself, yes, they do. (laughs) They know exactly what they're doing, Jesus. They're killing you and they're doing a phenomenal job at it. But this is what Jesus was implying by that. Yeah, they know what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing is wrong. Father, forgive them. See, what we like to do is we want them to know that what they're doing is wrong. And when they realize what they're doing is wrong, then I'll forgive them. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying before they even know what they're doing is wrong to you, forgive Even when they think they're doing what's right and they're hurting you in the process, forgive them. Even before they come to you humbly on their hands and knees, sending you text messages and writing you letters and sending you flowers, even before that moment, five years later, when they write you on iMessenger and say, five years ago, I just realized that I was wrong. You don't have to wait for that message to come through. You don't have to wait for the card. You don't have to wait for the flowers. You don't have to wait for the phone call. You don't have to wait for them to have tears in their eyes. You can have through the power of the Holy Spirit the ability to forgive them before they even realize what they are doing is wrong. That's love. You want to know what love is? This is what Jesus said in 1 John chapter 4 verse 11 through 12. It says, by this we know love. God so loved us, we ought to love others. You want to know how the world is going to see Jesus? Through you. Through you. And especially when you have been done wrong and dirty. That is the only thing that is going to be able to change someone's heart is by them seeing Jesus through you. And the only way they'll ever see Jesus through you is by you having the strength to be able to forgive that man, that woman who has hurt you and wronged you. Verse 12, this is what it says. It says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Jesus with forgiveness transformed an entire empire. In 300 years, the year uh, 313, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Went from crucifying Jesus to adopting him as the savior of the world. Why? Because of a sword? Because of vengeance? Because of justice? No. Because of two words. I forgive. It's the only thing that could change a heart. I, I read this story recently about uh, a man, because this is Jesus, and, and I, I need to know that an actual man can do this, an actual woman can do this. Uh, on May the 13th, 1981, uh, it was Pope John Paul II was traveling in an open motorcade through St. Peter's Square when Ali Akka, a Turkish Muslim, 
fired a gun, hitting the Pope four times in the torso. The Pope miraculously survived and spent nearly a month in the hospital. When he got out of the hospital, he issued a statement saying, I forgive my brother. Now you may say, that's the Pope, that's what Popes do, then you don't know history. Because you look at history and Popes would, would historically be some of the most ruthless people that if you ever tried to take a shot at them, they'd take you out and they'd take out people in your family. That's, that, that was the history of some of the Popes, but there was something miraculous about Pope John Paul II. And he didn't stop there. Uh, a few months later, Pope John Paul visited Ali in the prison. And in a private room, the two sat knee to knee, the Pope holding his hand. The last time he saw Ali, he was holding a gun, pointing it at him. And he was talking with him. This wasn't a publicity stunt. This was a moment where he met with him to make sure he knew, I forgive you, my brother. I forgive you. For years, Pope John Paul would visit Ali's family. He developed a relationship with him. And the press got a hold of this, and they uh, actually published in I believe it was the January issue of Time Magazine in 1984, a picture of a handshake between Ali, the Muslim attempted murderer, and Pope John Paul II with the title, Why Forgive? And the answer to that is, is simple. Is when you forgive, it's really not for them, it's for you. You're the prisoner that you set free when you offer and extend forgiveness. But there's something that transforms not just you, but other people through that. And Ali was amazing. In 2006, when he was released from prison, he began pursuing a career as a Catholic priest. Why? Because he saw Jesus through forgiveness. That's the only way the world is ever going to see Jesus is through you. It's through you and through your ability to extend grace to somebody. You may say, that's, that's easy, that's, that's a pope, that's Jesus. All right, let me give you a story about just a total regular dude. Uh, it's a regular guy in the Bible we read about, his name is Stephen. Uh, Stephen was not a pastor, he was not a preacher, he was not an author, uh, he was not an apostle. Uh, he was someone that loved Jesus, he was someone that uh, they saw a potential in and they, uh, made him become a deacon. What a deacon was in the Bible is someone who uh, would help set up for the apostles before their uh, worship experiences. They would uh, set the tables. They would set up the chairs. And, and Stephen uh, didn't have a lot of prestige. He was just kind of like a blue-collar guy, but he loved Jesus. And Stephen, one moment, he was sharing Jesus with uh, some non-believers, and uh, they were so angry at him because a lot of times when people hear the truth, we still need to speak the truth in love, but sometimes people hear the truth and it angers them. And Stephen was, was speaking the truth, and there was this group of, of Sanhedrin that was so angry at what Stephen was saying that, uh, I'll just read it to you, verse 54. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see a heaven and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. All of a sudden, he's seeing God's glory. And they take Stephen, it says in 
verse 58, dragging him out of the city, they began to stone him, actually picking up stones and throwing them at his skull, one after another, yelling at him, screaming at him. Here's this innocent guy who just fell in love with Jesus, young guy, just a blue collar guy, and now he's surrounded by angry people throwing stones literally at his skull. And it says, verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen began to pray, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out. These are his last words. He wasn't cursing them. Wasn't, this isn't fair. Go to hell. I hope you, you get what you deserve. This is what he says. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's, a, that's I want to live like that. Imagine the love and security that you have to have in yourself to be able to hear an insult and a, and a stone coming at you and all this injustice coming towards you and yet your prayer for them is, God, don't hold this sin against them. They don't even know what they're doing is wrong. They think they're doing what's right. But God, you've forgiven me for so much and I want that for them, God, forgive them. And what is amazing is, is I, I believe what's so powerful is, is verse 57. Uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, one of chapter eight. It's real simple, it says, and Saul approved of their killing. And they threw their coats at the feet of Saul, the ones that were stoning. Who's Saul? Saul, the next chapter, has a complete transformation. Knocked off his donkey on the way to Damascus. And Saul becomes the Apostle Paul who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, who's one of the greatest orators that this world has ever seen. And I believe that his transformation started in that moment where he saw this man, Stephen, that loved a God so much and he received forgiveness in his heart that he was able to forgive those who were murdering him in that moment. You want to know what changes hearts? You want to know what changes people? Not justice, but mercy, forgiveness. Justice will choke you out if that is your desire. If that is the only way you feel like you could ever have peace in your heart is if you get even, it will choke you down. But when justice tries to choke you, forgiveness will cut the rope. What I want to do now is something that we've never done in this service. Uh, if I could just have the ushers come forward. Um, we're going to have the ushers hand out um, little pieces of paper to everybody. And uh, we're going to do an, an exercise that I believe everybody here can participate in. Uh, you're going to be part of this service whether you like it or not. Lock the doors. Nobody's leaving. <laughs> and while the... Uh, ushers are handing that out if, if you could pull out a pen and I was trying to think in, in my own heart what were some areas in my life I, I still hadn't forgiven people in because as a pastor I think I do a pretty good job most of the time on forgiveness preach about it a lot and this week I didn't do this in the first service but I, I feel like this is for somebody this past week, I was going through my files, getting ready for taxes. Have you done your taxes yet, by the way? <laughs> April 15th, it's coming here soon. 
And so I'm, I'm looking for all my files and I come across this, this file and uh, it says the title, Reader's Comments for My Book. <laughs> and I, I open it up and I see uh, this printout of something that happened to me in 2010. And uh, what it was, it was a, one of the most difficult times my family ever walked through. Uh, when a lot of people got on the internet and uh, uh, blogged and wrote horrible things about my father and wrote horrible things about me, I had just become a pastor. And, uh, you know, some of them are, are just, you know, you, you know, reading them, uh, just throw one out here, here. Isaac's a pastor from now, all, from now on, call me Bishop or your majesty. That makes about as much, as much sense. <laughs> just, just personal attacks about me and about my father. And uh, I remember I printed this out 10 years ago. And I, I, <laughs> I didn't even know I still had it. And I, I wrote on the label, readers' comments for my book. And in the moment, I, I, I said, they're forgiven, they're forgiven. But I had a motivation that, that one day, I'm going to show them. One day, I'm going to show that they're wrong for what they said about me. And I'm going to put it in a book. That's what I said, because that's motivation. I'm going to use what they meant to hurt me, and I'm going I'm to be motivated to prove them wrong. The devil is a liar. How many people, and I, I believe I'm not just the only one, you have an inventory, maybe not physically in a filing cabinet, but a mental inventory of what people have said about you and done to you, and your motivation is one day I'll prove them wrong. And I'm telling you, even when you do, it won't heal your heart. It won't heal that wound that's inside of you. And today, I'm getting rid of this. This isn't coming back in the Friedel household. I'm going to share it in the third service, so I'm not going to rip it up just yet. I'm going to rip it up in the third service. If you want to come back and make sure that I do it, feel free. Uh, but what I want everybody to do in the piece of paper that you have, on the left side, I just want you to write the names of people in your life you need to forgive. And I'm going to do this alongside you. Might be someone that's not even alive anymore. Could be a friend, could be uh, ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend. Could be a co-worker that talked about you, that slandered you. And just take a minute. You don't even have to write their full name. Just write their initials on, on the left-hand side right now. I got, I got four. 
Don't be looking on anybody's paper, okay? Like, did you put my name down there? You better not. <laughs> and then in, in the right-hand column, if, if you could, just write so-and-so right next to their name, forgiven. 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 It's awesome, isn't it? Might hurt at first, but it's going to feel good. And if, if you're able to, just, just take it in your right hand, fold it so nobody can see. You got yours, Joe? All right, now I want you to I want you to rip it once. Rip it again. Rip it again. Rip it again. All right. If you're able to, just stand up. You got it in. You got it in your in your hand. Right or left hand doesn't matter. All right. All right. On the count of three. We're going to make it rain. I got permission from the House of Independence to do this. I'm not acting rebelliously. You may notice when you came in here some uh, trash that was on the floor. We're not being bad stewards or we're not being uh, uh, uncleanly. Uh, but we are uh, going to make it rain here. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right. On the count of three. This is it. I'm tearing it up. They're forgiven. Even if they know what they did was wrong or not, they're forgiven. I'm giving it to God. God, you, you take care of them. I'm just going to love them the best I can. That, and that doesn't mean that you have to have a relationship with them. Let me just be straight. That, that just because I forgive somebody doesn't mean I have to get back in the car with them. Okay? I always say, I'm not a crash test dummy. All right? Just because I, you, you, you hurt me, I'm not going to get back in the car with you. I got some boundaries set up, godly boundaries. But I'm not going to hold this grudge any longer. I'm free. The Bible says who the sun sets free is free indeed. And our greatest moment of freedom comes when we forgive those who have hurt us. Are you ready? On the count of three, we're going to make it rain. One, two, three. Forgiven. Right there. There it is. There it is. That's it. How's that feel? Good, right? Amen. People are like, Where, what is going on in here? We meet in a nightclub with a disco ball. What did you expect? Amen. Amen. Let's just bow our heads one last time. Father, we thank you so much for this feeling of forgiveness, Lord God, that we have. I pray that we will be confident that we are forgiven by you. That he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And God, I, I, I pray for anyone that, that maybe you wrote your own name 
on that piece of paper. And there are some things that you haven't forgiven yourself of. That there are some mistakes that you have made that, that you hold against yourself. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that, that I allowed myself to, to, to do that, to fail that bad or to say that or to respond that way. And, and, and now you, you, you need to forgive yourself this morning. If Jesus can forgive you, you need to forgive you. And now that we've received that, I pray that we'll be able to extend that to those who hurt us. God, set us free from this. And you spoke on the cross as you were dying and bleeding in so much agony. You lifted yourself up on those nails and breathed in so that you could speak these words. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And you went through so much of that pain so that we could hear those words come out of your mouth. I pray, Father, that they will ring true in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Give the Lord one last hand clap.